wanting to show the world that, you know, this little Puerto Rican girl who grew up in the hood in Gary can do and change everything and, and, and defy any odds. Well, welcome back. We are here today with Aisha Sabias Crump. Hopefully I got that close. Yeah, you did yes, well. good. You did great. Okay, good, good, good. <laughs> Aisha Sabias Crump is a first-generation Hispanic American who is the founder of two beauty brands, Botanica Beauty and Honey Baby Naturals, multi-million dollar brands that are sold in Walmart, Target, and Sally's. She is also a member of the Global Beauty Alliance and Target's Business Partner Council, serving as the only minority woman focusing on diversity and inclusion in Target stores. Good, Aisha. It's wonderful to have you here. Thank you for joining us. Uh, really appreciate it. Thanks for having me, Brett. I'm so excited to be here. Yeah, good. So um, let's start at the beginning. I want to hear kind of the very early days, the family dynamics, the where you're from, the environment you grew up in. Kind of give me the, the um, beginning for you. Well, this is the best part. <laughs> so I love to share it and hopefully, you know, share, share some light into like why I did everything I did. But um, I was um, born and raised in Gary, Indiana, um, Boricua, 100% Puerto Rican. And um, all of my grandparents were born on the island. They, that's when the steel industry was booming. So people always say, how did Puerto Ricans end up in Gary? Gary, Indiana is a small town outside of Chicago that was a booming steel industry. So it was a blue collar town. And um, my grandparents came to the island to basically, I mean, came from the island to the mainland to create a better life for us. So I, I love to tell people when my when my grandfather came here, my dad's father, um, neither none of them spoke English. They they just spoke Spanish. They had no idea, no relatives here, no one to bring them over. They just came here, and they worked harder than anyone I ever known. And you know, my parents um, met. They born and raised in Gary, and unfortunately, Gary turned into it was this booming steel industry, just like so many other towns. That um, when the steel industry crashed, so did the city. And, you know, predominantly um, Black um, when I was growing up. So it, it transformed. It was a very diverse city, a booming city, a thriving city, and predominantly Black, predominantly uh, poor. And everything around you was gone. There were no movie theaters. There were no parks. There were no stores. It was just like living in with nothing. You know, drugs, violence, everything around me. And so I was determined and that I never, ever wanted to stay in that, that place. Like for me, that was my driving factor. That was what motivated me growing up poor and seeing the things that I saw around me. So um, I went to public school. Um, I was so lucky. I ended up at a performing arts high school in Gary, Indiana. And that was what changed my life. I was just in let me, Yeah, let me, let me hop in there before we talk about that because... I get excited when I start to hear the performing arts part and that's changed your life. And I know that'll be a big part of the story, but tell me a little bit about kind of, you know, you said it went away. Um, what, what kind of, how old were you and, and what do you remember, you know, as a child about kind of being in this environment and seeing it go away. I mean, you know, I certainly get now that you can look back on how that impacted you and how that motivated you. But at the time, how was that experience for you and your family? So, Brent, I never knew it. I just heard about it. 
And uh-huh. it was, um, I saw pictures of our, our high school was actually um, a national um, historical site. And I would look at the photo books and I saw the diversity and I saw the thriving, but I never knew it. I just like heard the stories and my grandparents, my grandfather actually built um, a little grocery store in the corner. My grandmother had a Puerto Rican kitchen. So I do remember at that time that, you know, they had businesses, they were entrepreneurs, which is funny now that I think about it, my dad's side of the family. And it just seemed normal to be poor. Like we, uh-huh. it was a family of five. My mom made $28,000 a year. My dad was always laid off. So how it was, was that's all I knew. But I, I had friends who had parents who had education and better jobs. And, you know, um, I, I had teachers that would bring us to Chicago and, and, and show us culture and show us theater. And I knew that I, I wanted something great. So what I grew up around, unfortunately, um, I have two relatives that died to gun violence, teen pregnancy. I've been around drugs. We were the murder capital of the world, of the, of the US when I was in high school. Everything that I did as a child, and, and, and then when people ask me, I've been in Chicago 20 years, and when you ask me where I'm from, I'm say Gary, Indiana, because it's so important for us to normalize that if you grew up in an environment like that, you do not have to become a product of your environment. And, you know, and so I always, my parents used to say, I don't know whose child you are, but man, you, 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 you must be rich in your past life or you aspire to be something great. So I was ridiculed. Like my cousins mm-hmm. called me a nerd. My, my, my relatives were like, um, oh, Isha is a brainiac. She's a nerd. And so making mm-hmm. straight A's was not a good thing. It's like when mm-hmm. you grow up in that environment. So yeah, I, I went to um, my public high school my whole life. So I was valedictorian of grammar school. And I remember when one of the teachers pulled, pulled my parents to the side and they were like, your daughter is brilliant. Like she's gifted. You need to do something with her. They were like, we can't afford pu- private school. <laughs> There's, you know, mm-hmm. she got to stay here. And so I was mm-hmm. always learning two grade levels above norm. And, you know, and I just went with it. And, mm-hmm. and that was after my middle school experience. Um, I was, I don't, I don't even know, like, you know, your upbringing, but I always had people in my life that saw something in me. And that's mm. why I do what I do. Like teachers who saw who I was and they wanted to uplift me, who had a better life, who made more money. And I remember um, it was a teacher that I had in grammar school who was like, you are a star. You are something special. And she made me apply to go to this performing arts high school. And it was not, it was like, um, it was still public, but it was um, 55 people in my graduating class. So it was a very small school and it was fame. Do you remember the fame? <laughs> it was, sure, it was sure. everything fame was. And it was predominantly black and it was my, you know, was a few Latinos and it was minorities. And I was a theater major. And I, I really tell people, I, one day I want to I want to shed a light. There's a lot of famous people that are in Hollywood now and doing things that came from Gary and Dan from my high school. But it's who created this confidence, like being in theater. And when I took a bus to go to this school, which was far from me, I woke up every morning before my parents even got up, before my siblings got up. And I woke up every morning. I took myself to the bus stop and I drove to the school. It took me an hour every morning to get there between the stops. When I walked in that door, I put blinders on. I didn't live in Gary anymore. I didn't see the drugs. I didn't see the violence. I saw this amazing environment with positivity and like, um, you know, teachers that inspired, that teachers that uplifted and they wanted to see their students become great. And, and that was my life. And mm-hmm. I loved every moment from sixth to 12th grade. That's what I did. Mm-hmm. Wow. Okay. So let's back up a little bit. It's a great story. I love to hear it. Um, I'm intrigued with I don't know why this is just kind of what jumped out to me, but I'm intrigued with this idea that it felt like your family to some degree, the environment that you were in, and maybe this was, you know, kind of residual trauma from the loss of 
industry and and what happened to, to you know the people of Gary, there was some hate. There was some you know doubt. There was some like you know she's a nerd, she's a brainiac. You know where she come from? Like some of it lovingly, right? But but how does that like not get you to buy into that story? You know because because people often you know, we'll say, well, I don't want to be a nerd or, you know, I don't want to be a brainiac. And so they kind of like dim their light, so to speak, and don't kind of kind of embrace their gifts. And it sounds like to me, you were like, yeah, no, I'm smart. I'm going to be the valedictorian. I'm going to do my thing. Is that coming from the performing arts school or even kind of before that, do you think that's like naturally who you are? Did that come from your parents? Like, where does that like, I'm going to shine thing really live for you? You know, I, it is so funny. I have three kids now. I just always, I don't know. I just feel like, I think I was born with this fire. I have a fire inside of me. Like I look at it, like I'm 44. I'm like, dang, I only have about 30, 30 years to make my impact in life. And when I was in my teens, I felt that way. I just felt this desire to change my surroundings. My parents are rich dad, poor dad. They they live in a oof, they live in a poor dad life. And every time I like challenged them, I worked, I worked since I was 16. We didn't have a car. I had to find friends to take me to work. I had I worked 20 hours a week while in high school, did musical theater, I played basketball, I played volleyball. I did everything that I could do to just find ways to get out of being in that environment. I had a great home environment. My parents were married. They, they, they loved us. They were young parents. They were 18 and 20 when they, they got married and had babies. But it's not that I didn't want to be home, but I wanted to improve what that home life was. And so I just feel like my whole entire life, I wanted to be, um, I wanted to be great because that was the only way that I was going to change the way that my parents were living and I was going to impact our family. And so again, it was just always like, okay, I don't care what my brother, my brother and sister didn't go to a special school. They went to the neighborhood high school and, you know, they, they didn't make good grades and they got, they, my parents like, oh, you got a C. That's great. You know, you, you got a B. Oh my God. I made straight A's, like I said. And um, I just took it as, I just took it as, I don't care. And, and, and so mind you, Brett, I'm Puerto Rican. I have fair skin. My hair is, my hair is wavy. So I didn't have typical, and I went to school predominantly black you know, African-Americans. And so I never fit in. I was always like, oh, let me touch your hair. Or, um, you know, why do you talk like that? You want to, I had cousins that were Puerto Rican. They, they grew up in Latino communities. They're like, oh, why do you want to sound like you're black? Why is your name Aisha? I don't know if you ever asked question that. <laughs> like, yeah. you know, why is your, you know, I have an Arabic name and I'm hundred percent Puerto Rican. My sister's Sonia. My, my dad's Roberto. My mom's, Mar- uh, we have Maria, we have Tomasa, we have Feliz. I'm Aisha because I don't know. It's something at birth that my mom felt about me that was going to be different. It's fascinating, right? I mean, <laughs> we talk about this sometimes um, jokingly about, you know, names and, you know, kind of how the trajectory that might send you on. But it does feel like you said you have some, you know, kind of, I don't know, you were born with this energy, right? And and this spark, this fire, and I can feel it, you know, it's noticeable and just your way of being, you have a lot of energy or high energy person, you've got uh, a spark to you. And I wonder like, you know, 
what intuitively maybe your mom even, you know, was feeling at birth or unconsciously even that kind of had her name you Aisha and, you know, your life unfolding the way it has, it feels very much like it is just kind of part of your path in life. I truly, it's so funny. So my, um, I feel like I said, my parents got married young. And um, so my dad is the bird man. Uh, and that'll tell you a lot about me. That's his, that's what we call him. Okay. Um, he's six foot five, Puerto Rican. Um, he's a man with the earth. And um, he barely worked jobs, but he raised us. He's a chef. He's a musician. He's an artist. Like He's like this incredible soul. And she was always the hard worker. She was a breadwinner. She's very regimented. She's very strict. She does, We do not have conversations about friendships, about life, about career goals. My parents had no idea how I was going to go to college and pay for it. Just FYI, that's the life I grew up in. Mm-hmm. And I just feel like... And so when I was born, she was fighting with my dad. They, you know, they were young parents. And my dad was out partying with his friends. He shows up to the hospital late. And my name was supposed to be Roberta. This is a really funny story. Um, my brother's Roberto. I was supposed to be a Roberta. And she was so ticked off at my dad for coming late. And Stevie Wonder, 1977. Isn't she lovely? Her name is Aisha. And my mom was like, I'm going to show Roberto. And I'm going to name her Aisha. And she, she never knew what the name meant. She just spelled it A-I-S-H-A, which is A, which is Spanish. And that's how it was. And it's like, I grew up my whole life explaining my name. And then, you know, I, I, and, then, and now when I went to Purdue, I went to, uh, we'll go, go to that. We were around, you know, a bunch of um, Arabics, Muslim people that recognize the name. And so I have explained my entire, my name, my entire life since I've been old enough to explain it. But mm-hmm. I do feel like it's, I'm blessed. I wanted to change my name when I was young because I felt like I didn't fit in with the Latina community. Um, so my middle name is Raquel, Raquel. And so I would say, oh, I'm Raquel when I meet people um, because I felt like it was too much to explain. But now the pride in my name, I gave my son an Arabic name, the pride in my uniqueness, and it's all intertwined to who I became and what I want to be. Mm, wonderful. So, so let's back up a little bit. Hey, and but, talk. But it's just my name and just how I grew up, it's all intertwined into my fire and my passion. And just like wanting to show the world that, you know, this little Puerto Rican girl who grew up in the hood and Gary can do and change everything and and, and defy any odds. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I get that. And, And so tell me a little bit more about kind of this performing arts school experience and you know, kind of how and who, you know, along the way really saw you, who inspired you, who, who encouraged you to, to continue to shine. So this is where um, being, a, being a nerd and being, I wasn't really nerdy. I was kind of popular. <laughs> but um, so my drama teachers, like I was a theater major. We call that and- a closet nerd. I'm a closet nerd, but I'll tell you the story. So so when I got to Emerson, it was like um, Emerson uh, VPA, Visual Performing Arts. It was a school that was um, bus people from the city. So it was 55 in my graduating class, very small. And um, I was terrified. I was leaving my neighborhood and I was going to school. I'd get bused every morning. And um, when I got there, it was just like this relief. The teachers are amazing. Like my drama teachers, Miss Booth, Miss Her, Mr. Her, these are like my theater majors. We would go in there and it was like, it was like Saturday Night Live every day. We would do like sketch um, improv. We would do um, uh, theatrical. I can't sing. I would get the lead in every play except musical theater because I'm like, one time they did a voiceover. Um, but my theater teachers, they, they, they made me feel so important. They made me feel so special. Um, mathematics. 
I was actually like a tutor. They would put me in the hallway. I was a talkative person. I was a class clown. So I would have to sit in the hallway because I was distracting the other students. And then I met my friends. So I had five, it was five of us and we were called the geeks. That was the name of our crew. And it was my um, four best friends and uh, three were dance majors and another one was a drama major. And I met them when I got there. We became the best of friends and we empowered and encouraged each other to continue. So when they said, then the kids were saying, we're going to the L, which is a liquor store. We're like, we're going to the L, the library. And we would say, geez. And so that's how I normalized that being a nerd and being a geek was cool. Like we were the cool girls in school and we were the smartest girls and we were the nerds and we were the geeks. Mm-hmm. Isn't that great? I love it. I love it. And then another another teacher, I'll tell you this, this, and my parents were like, man, they used to let me just go with teachers. That's kind of weird nowadays. But I had another teacher, <laughs> right? Nowadays it's not unheard of, but you know, another teacher, Mr. Conrady, he was a French teacher. And um, I played sports and he would bring us to Chicago to go see DePaul basketball, to go to the Bulls games. Like he would just come on the weekend, spend his own money and take me and another um, girl out to eat. And he would take us. They just saw something in us. And so I, mean, I can go on and on about these great teachers that like, just believed in me and told me that I was going to be somebody great. And that was my mm. entire high school experience. And I graduated valedictorian from high school, um, grammar mm. school, middle school, and high school. Wow. And, and um, yeah, it, it feels like, you know, maybe it's, it's kind of, it takes everything and everybody, you know, when you're coming from, you know, it, it, it is the village and, you know, you have this self-belief, you've got this fire, this spark, this passion, um, and and yet you're also getting some support from around you to encourage you to keep going to kind of lean in and redefine the L. I mean that that's uh, you know really powerful to hear you know what it takes and it's a reminder you know for everybody for all of us that you know you can really be a part of somebody else's path and influence it really in a significant way by just loving on them and encouraging them and, and recognizing what you see. Tell me about, you know, now, then what, you know, you go on, obviously you're having a tremendous amount of success academically, you know, tell me a little bit about kind of how your college life and, you know, kind of early career starts to emerge. So, yeah, so Emerson, um, and it was funny because um, I wanted to go to NYU to become an actress. <laughs> I love theater. And it was like, I was this brainiac. I was on the math team. I had straight A's. I was a minority. I was poor. I had great SAT scores. I was being recruited by every university. Um, and I really wanted to go to NYU because I wanted to become an actress. I was like, I never visited New York. We didn't go many places like in the Midwest. That was it or Puerto Rico. <laughs> that was the only place or had a, I lived in Jersey. But we didn't really visit, you know, many places. And so it's like I had this dream of becoming an actress, a Broadway actress and, and moving to New York. And, you know, I, I really was on that for like my last two years of high school. And I took a step back and I said, damn, I grew up poor. <laughs> yeah, I've been poor my whole life and I don't want to be poor anymore. Like that was really like honestly. Mm-hmm. And um, I had recruiters that would come in and um, I had a recruiter from Purdue. She was actually a black woman who it's she, um, Deborah Starks. And it was like, she was, it was important to her to recruit in the inner city because a lot of colleges do not come to Gary. Just, I'm going to mm-hmm. tell you this. A lot of colleges do not, good colleges do not come to the inner city. She did a trip to our high school and um, they picked the best and the brightest. So obviously it was in this session. And, um, and she was like, you should think about engineering. Look at your grades. I said, engineering? What, like a train? 
<laughs> like, like, like literally right. like engineers with a hat on a train. She's like, no, like, you know, you can be as like, tell me more. She was like, well, math and science. And then she says, um, engineer is actually the highest paid undergraduate degree. Really? Mm. And then, and then I go down the list. She's like, well, you can graduate making between 55,000. And this is 19. I mean, I graduated high school in 95. So this would be like 90 in the nineties between 75,000. I said, holy crap. I was like, sign me up. So that is how I, and I went down the list and I said, which engineers make the most money? Chemical. And, and I said, okay, um, I'm going to apply to be a chemical engineer. I had no idea what the heck I was getting myself into at a performing arts high school, been in theater my whole life. Um, parents didn't even go to college. They didn't graduate high school. They have GEDs. No one in my family is like in a professional, like, you know, doctor, lawyer, nothing like that. And I just go down the list and I say, sign me up. I'll be a chemical engineer. Got a full ride to Purdue. Um, academic, grant-based. I had so much scholarship money that um, I bought a car. <laughs> I didn't get my license until I was 19 because we were too poor to get a car. Um, and um, I had no regret. This was the turn, one of the turning points in my life. I had no idea. Like never been in a predominantly white learning institution, you know, predominantly mm-hmm. black or Latino my entire life. Uh, Purdue University is in West Lafayette. It's not Gary. <laughs> Definitely mm-hmm. not Gary. West Lafayette, Indiana, in the cornfields. Um, a very red state, very non-liberal, very conservative, very different. Mm-hmm. Um, and I pat my parents didn't know I was paying for college. They didn't know what I was majoring in. Nothing. I just said, okay, mom, dad, I did it. I'm going to college. Mm-hmm. First person in my family to go to college. My brother had to go to the military, my older mm-hmm. brother. Okay. And then two of my best friends that were in the geek crew um, came to Purdue with me. So it kind of made it feel warm. Um, and they both graduated in the top five of our class. And I get to Purdue and I had a 4.0 my whole life. And I talked to a counselor and I took 18 credit hours, physics, chemistry, calculus, computer programming, English in my first semester. And holy crap, I got the mess beat out of me. Because it was the first time in my life where I realized that people that grow up in how I grew up get the education that's so subpar, you're so disadvantaged. Mm-hmm. I, I had made straight A's my whole life, Brett. I get to college and I bust my butt. All these kids were valedictorians, engineering, creme de creme. Purdue was like the number three engineering program in the country, only to MIT. And um, I can't remember where we were at that point. But the mm-hmm. point was that I had no idea what the real world was. And at that point, I, you know, I go to Purdue. My first semester, I was culture shock. I didn't understand culturally, like the environment that I was in. And I was probably the only Latina woman in chemical engineering in every one of my classes, maybe three other black students. And, um, and I got a 2.64. And I felt like the biggest failure in the world. I cried and I called my parents. They were like, just come home, just leave. <laughs> Like okay. it's, that's how their life and their mentality is. Like if you're sad and you're miserable, just come home. I was never going to come home. And you know, I at that point I latched on to the minority engineering program at Purdue because I felt comfortable. I started working for the program as a as a college freshman, doing recruiting and working in their tutoring program. Um, finding myself a like-minded. I was a society of women engineers, society of black engineers because I felt comfortable. And these programs are so important, and people don't realize that because they help you in an environment that is challenging. So, you know, went to Purdue four years. I hate it being an engineer because mm-hmm. I'm a natural born actress, theatrics, but I don't, I don't finish. I don't stop anything that I start. So I was a chemical mm-hmm. engineer. I go through, went to all, the, I'm a football fanatic. I travel, went to home and away games for four years. <laughs> we had a great team at the time. Drew Brees was our quarterback. Oh, so yeah. I, I 
Yeah, I, I have my dad tell me this morning, he's like, I have all this signed stuff. I said, save it. He's going to the Hall of Fame. <laughs> oh, yeah. I remember when he beat Ohio State that year um, in West oh, Lafayette, I believe. Yeah. We went to the Alamo Bowl. I Don't you remember that game? It was like mm-hmm. so incredible. But anyway, so I did that and um, I found other things to keep me busy. Um, I, I got over the culture shock. I got over, by the time I graduated, I graduated with honors. And the sad part is I knew I wanted to become an engineer. Like I yeah. started interviewing. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, like, I had this degree and all these companies were recruiting me. And I knew in my heart and soul that what the heck did I do? Because I really don't want to become an engineer. Yeah. Yeah, it's fascinating, you know, because um, I can just see how the conditioning, you know, to uh, and really the environment, you know, with with not knowing anything other than I don't want to be poor. And then having somebody say, well, here's a way you can make money. Right. Um, And you thinking, great, that's perfect. I'll do that. Then going through the struggle the kind of recalibration of realizing you didn't have a proper education, but but knowing how to find your way through it and end up being very successful in that environment only to realize when you're all done, you don't even really want to do that. Like, what what's that like? What happens next, you know, with that realization? So, yeah, it was, and it was funny because... Um, we would have these job fairs. Purdue is like one of the best engineering schools in the country. So we had Frito-Lay, we have Procter & Gamble, we had, and I, my, my major was, um, my, my major was engineering. My minor was um, political science. Because then I was like, well, maybe I'll flip this into like a, a, a law degree or something. And I studied environmental science, environmental racism, um, environmental sciences, political, you know, racism. So anyway, I studied all these great, I made straight A's in my minor, just FYI. <laughs> um, and yeah, I struggled in engineering courses because it was just like, I hated it. So I'm a senior. And um, I actually, at that time, I met my husband, who's my husband now. So I've been with my husband for 23 years. And he's from Chicago. And he's he's like more fun than I can ever imagine. And I was a senior and I met him. He's from Chicago. And um, I fell in love. And I think that's probably the best thing that ever happened to me. So instead of taking one of these boring jobs that I was interviewing as an engineer, environmental services, one was in Ohio, one is when and one was in um I got a job in um, Texas, um, oil field services. Imagine me on a rig. Jesus Christ, <laughs> imagine me on a rig. No, thank you, with heels and makeup. And um interviewing with these companies. And then I fell in love, met my husband, and I and I, this is crazy. I just said, I'm not taking a job. Let's just move back to Chicago. Mm-hmm. <laughs> in Chicago, mm-hmm. outside of Gary. He's from Chicago. And so he was interviewing with some companies, engineer as well. And um, I left Purdue and with this great degree, worked my <laughs> tail off for four years. And I get to I get to Chicago. I'm staying at his mom's house. And this is what's going to really make you laugh. And I was like, I'm not ready to, to commit. I wasn't ready to get a job yet because I didn't want to be an engineer. So I'm trying to figure this out. And uh, my daddy, Birdman, he cooked tacos at a liquor store in Gary. And he says, just come work with me at the taco shop. I said, Dad, do you know if anyone sees me there, they're going to be like, this girl's an engineer. She's at the taco shop in Gary. But I did it because I love my daddy. And I went to work with my dad at the taco shop for the summer. And then I said, okay, fine. I'm going to go get a job. So I went to interview with Eli Lilly um, for an engineer because that's what Purdue engineers did. And thank God, Brett, the recruiter, another person was like, 
you do not want to become an engineer. Mm-hmm. And um, he was like, you need to be in sales. So I took a sales job because it was high paying, um, ended up in pharma sales. And you know, back then, pharmaceutical sales was the place to be. Everybody was good looking and smart right. and they made a lot of money. But I was bored out of my mind. It was just mm-hmm. like, I'm a, I'm a glorified caterer is how I felt. I felt like I was too smart for it. Um, even though mm-hmm. the money was great, I think I was pushing on six figures at that young age coming from Gary. Mm-hmm. Um, got married at 24. People think that's crazy. Um, mm-hmm. Had my first baby at 25. I did too, by the way. <laughs> did you? Yeah, okay. Yeah, 24. Had my first at 26. So yeah. Oh, and then I had my second at 28. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, I maybe caught up to you by then. Because uh, <laughs> I have, um, I had three by the time I was 30. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if I have my third at 30. Uh-huh. <laughs> and then I'm done. I hope you were done. You're done? I was done too. Yes. <laughs> that is yeah, so funny. Yeah. And so think about this, Brett. My girlfriends were partying. You know exactly where I'm going with this. Here I was, yeah. like I'm nursing and I'm, I'm I have this great career. My husband and I started doing real estate. So I'm 25, you know, I have my first baby and my son. I love being a mom. Like it was the greatest gift in life. Um, but I'm still this ambitious career woman. So I kind of felt like, oh my God, what am I doing? I had the pressures of like, I'm wasting my life away. And then this is when it all changed. This is the turning point that you've been waiting for. What happened? Um, at 28 years old, oh, sorry, 28 years old, my son was, he, had, he wasn't quite, he was three. That's when The Princess was really big. And I hate to say that because, you know, but these reality TV shows were like massively like popular and people were starting these businesses. I always knew that I wanted to have my own entrepreneur and I want to create legacy. And it was just booming. And um, I heard a radio announcement. Richard Branson, Richard Branson. I love Richard Branson. Like mm-hmm. when you want to list out entrepreneurs that I admire, he's one of my favorites. Mm-hmm. Richard Branson was having a casting call for his new reality TV show, Rebel Billionaire. So I'm, mm-hmm. I'm going to really spark your memories here. <laughs> um, yeah. I, was 20, I was 28 years old. I was at the Virgin Megastore downtown Chicago. And um, I just woke up and I said, I'm going to go. And my husband looked at me like, girl, go back to bed. What is wrong with you? And I show up and out of 250,000 applicants, I got applicants, I got selected to be on a reality TV show. Wow. That's great. Aisha Ceballos Crump from Gary, Indiana, Puerto Girl is flying to London to go to Richard Branson's castle to be on a reality TV show. It was like, it was just that turning point in my life where like anything that I want to do, I will do. And I felt that way. And also, like, I'm wondering if you had some sense of kind of how, at this point, everything that has happened in your life was coming together. I mean, this is, again, kind of the whole point of the podcast where, you know, we want to show how these events in our lives that might feel unrelated along the way end up really having the ability, the potential to come together in a you know, profoundly beautiful way. So, you know, I'm imagining the fact that you went to this performing arts school certainly helped you in an audition. The fact that you had all of this kind of upbringing and education and intelligence and drive and, you know, um, skill, you know, all of that is what they see in you. That's why you're picked, right? Yeah, it's funny. You could Google my name. I didn't start telling the story until recently. But if you Google my name, it's funny. There's this article. Um, 
There's an article about me on salon.com that says Aisha Sabayas, Buna Murray, the producer. So Buna Murray does real world. Mm-hmm. So you know how exactly how this is going to go. And um, I'm in the I'm in the, the casting couch. There's like, oh, she's this beautiful Puerto Rican firecracker. That's how they describe me. I was a diversity initiative. <laughs> like all these reality TV shows have diversity initiatives. And oh, yes. And they wanted me to be confrontational. So if you read these articles, you're like, I, I didn't know this at the time, but I knew I was going to use this to like, oh, it's time. I'm going to change this boring life. Like I'm going to put everything, my theater skills, my acting skills. I'm going to be on massive platforms. It was going to be on Fox. It was like all this came together and I auditioned. And I made it and um, had no idea. Like, so when you do a reality TV show, they don't tell you anything. It's all mystery. You're just going to show up. So we fly to Europe and they take my passport. And I don't know the other... I don't know any. The premise was entrepreneurship um, and people that are driven entrepreneurship slash risk takers. And I'm definitely a risk taker. I've been taking risks my entire life. Show up to London in a castle and we all finally meet the contestants. And the first person that I say hello to is... Sarah Blakely spanks me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's something. And wow. this was, yeah, it's just so I tell this story is yeah. crazy. And I meet Sarah, and you know, you you know Sarah. She's unassuming. She's very like you know regular, regular. Just like just a good person. And I'm like, hi, am I? She's like, I'm Sarah. I'm Spanx. I said, oh, what's Spanx? And I just tell mm-hmm. you the story. I'm like, I met Sarah when I didn't even know what Spanx was. Right. Um. Yeah. And I just like you know I'm in this castle. And I'm like, my brain is like I'm like. Everything in my life at this point is like, I'm going to tell them who, what Gary Indiana is. I'm going to show them who a Puerto Rican who's educated is. Like, this is this platform to showcase everything in my life to this point. So we meet in Windsor Castle. We film in the first episode. I get eliminated. Mm-hmm. I get eliminated. And I cried on national television. My son was watching. My husband, they had no idea because everything's secretive. And my whole family, the whole city of Gary, my friends in Chicago, they had a watch party. Mm. And I cry on national television. I mean, after, I mean, they were, you know, I cried when we were all watching together because like, I felt like I let everybody down. I let Gary down. I let my high school down. I let my parents down. I let Puerto Ricans down. Like everything Mm. was on my back. And I had the opportunity to do it. And And I go there and um, and I'm 28 years old and I was fancy. I, I was poor. So when you go on TV, let me fancy. And they compare, they compare me to J-Lo on television. So it was like, <laughs> it, was, it was awful, Brett. Yeah. So anyway, yeah, so that's 28. When you do a reality TV show and you get kicked off, they, they, they don't send you home. But I demanded to go home. So I got to go home. So I just thought that they were mad. It was over. They weren't going to ever invite me back. But... Lo and behold, stayed home for a month. When I went home, I that was my life-changing moment. I was like, what do I love? What do how do I put all these things together? And that was it. That was my aha Oprah moment. I said, you know mm-hmm. what, Aisha, you're chasing something that you have. You don't mm-hmm. need to be on TV. You you have this brain power, you have this expertise. And so I typed in the computer um, beauty, because I was always interested in the beauty industry. And engineering, mm. and um, well, anyway, so so I started working in the industry selling chemicals for the beauty industry. But meanwhile, I was working my own brand. It was called Culture Shock Cosmetics. 
My very first company, no one even knows about this brand. It was like a makeup yeah. line that was dedicated to my culture and all the experiences and everything that, you know, that I learned. And so I'm at home and I'm grinding. I'm like, I'm in the lab. So I'm, I'm like, if you're, if you're into music and I see your guitar, like I was in the lab, I was grinding day and night. I'm working. I pulled out money that I had saved from real estate and my, my jobs and my investing. And I'm never scared to take a risk. And I was like, I'm going to show Richard Branson. I'm going to show them who they should have picked. So anyway, I get a call from the producers and they invite us back. They wanted everyone to come back. Richard Branson's amazing. He said, everyone eliminated comes back for the final episodes. He flies us to Necker Island. Like oh, Richard, wow. like this is like Bill Gates. That's pretty Oprah cool. Stuff. I yeah. know, right? Seriously, you know? yeah. And I, um, and I said, yeah. bucket list, yeah. It's bucket list. Like I've done yeah. bucket list crap, man. It's crazy. Yeah. And so I, I couldn't say no. And I was mad. And I said, I'm going to show Richard Branson who this girl is. Mm-hmm. So they fly us to Necker Island and um, to film the last week, which was like the finale, the episode to see who won. Um, Sean Nelson of Love Sack. You know, Love Sack mm-hmm. Furniture. Sure. You yeah, know, yeah. He won. Um, yeah. I, think he was, I think he was always predetermined to win. But he won. <laughs> Sarah Blakely came in second, which is hilarious. Right. And then there was a so about the entrepreneurs I'm still friends with to this day. And we we spent 10 days with the brilliant Richard Branson mm-hmm. and watching him and bonding with him and, and just seeing who he was. And he didn't do this show for the fame. This mm-hmm. is when Richard, Richard was launching, um, he was launching his airlines. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Think about it. And he's working mm-hmm. on Galactica. So he needed the US exposure. Mm-hmm. And um, I mean, he's just brilliant. He's amazing. Yeah. I spent 10 days and I mean, he... I. And he said, so Aisha, what have you been doing since you've been home? I said, I was throwing darts at your picture. (laughs) 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 So anyway, fast forward, we filmed the episode, it's done. And that's when the magic started. I came home and it was so inspirational to see him. And I believed I belonged. That was the first time Mm -hmm. in my life where I felt like, you know, I was in this predominantly white institution. And and the comments that were made about me as a, a woman of color, like in this industry... There's so many stereotypical things as a Latina woman. I hung with another Black girl, like things that were said about her. Um, they talked about certain things that, that should not be talked about. Like they're stereotypes. And I, I use that as my motivation. I came home and that was it. I quit my job. I had a six-figure job. I quit it. My parents thought I was absolutely nuts. They were so mad at me. And that's when I started culture shock. I started grinding. I started working. I started... I, I took a job at Nordstrom's working in the beauty counter mm-hmm. so I can learn every brand, every business. I did it for six months. I got pregnant with my second child. And um, and then I was working selling chemicals. I'm calling on Unilever. I'm calling on Luster Products. I'm calling on all these companies. I'm like the brains behind the brand. I'm teaching them how to make the products. I'm telling them the claims. I'm doing the things. I did this for five years. And at that point, I was like, oh man, I am going to come out with this blockbuster brand that is going to change the industry. And Mm -hmm. so I went to work for a contract filler for five years. I learned everything about manufacturing, development, product. Meanwhile, I had another baby. So this time I'm done. I'm 30. I have these babies. I'm raising them. I'm learning everything about the business. You know, I'm, I'm doing product copy. I'm working with all these brands, knowing always that I wanted to have my own, but the fear of taking that risk. And in 2015, I, I, I said, I'm tired. I'm done. I'm ready. I have done my homework. I've paid my dues. I'm not rich. My husband had a job. I had a job. And in 20, I pulled out my entire 401k. Everything, every dollar, mm-hmm. every dime, my savings. And as my parents would say, Isha's crazy because she quit her high paying job. I was a <laughs> VP. I was making about $160,000 a year. 
And mm-hmm. I left everything and I went mm-hmm. back to the lab. And that's when I, Honey Baby Naturals was born. Mm, wow. Yeah, <laughs> it's really great. Yeah, it's amazing, you know, because what I'm kind of seeing throughout your story is your ability to take risk, to um, really take risk in the name of yourself and your life and what you wanted for yourself. You know, I think most people would have um, taken a different turn many times throughout your journey. Um, You know, maybe before this, but certainly after graduation, um, when you realize you don't want to be an engineer, uh, realizing that and then not doing it are two very different things. Most people do it anyway. Um, the comment, you know, you know, Aisha's crazy, you know, she's leaving this high paying job. Well, that, that's because most people don't leave the high paying job. And when you get eliminated uh, from, you know, Branson's show and, and what you take away is I'm inspired, I'm motivated, I belong. Um, you know, again, that says a lot about you. So uh, not to mention, and I, I think it's really important to highlight that you didn't then just uh, go start a company or try something. You went into education mode and you worked your ass off behind the counter, in the factory. You learned every aspect of the business and then you were ready. And then you took the jump. You know, I think a lot of people miss that. The, the, the deep, deep, hard, hard work that is necessary to really do something that is going to be successful. And, you know, maybe people are looking for, you know, IPOs and, you know, startups and, you know, venture back valuations that have them on these, you know, high flying rocket ship. And that's, I think, you know, kind of uh, a little bit uh, glamorized, you know, really most stories are about what you did, which is hard work, learning, becoming an expert in your craft, and then having that underneath you to launch and to start and to really, you know, take your swing. So, you know, good for you. Amazing. I love hearing kind of the full story and maybe you just want to talk a little bit about, you know, Honey Baby and kind of what you're up to now and, and you know, start to share any other kind of final thoughts with the audience. Absolutely. So, so everything you said is true. It's just like, it was always about elevating and, and using that experience to, to, to get to my end goal, which is I'm nowhere near it yet. And so um, why Honey Baby? Um, it's funny because um, at this point, I had three kids, um, Puerto Rican, my husband's black, our kids, uh, multicultural, multi-texture. And even though I worked in the industry and I had all this free product, I realized that it was still an, it was still avoiding the market, and that's kind of like that aha moment where you're like, um, I'm buying products for my hair texture for my kids. Like everybody had something, and so I wanted to create a line that was inclusive and diverse that really spoke to my family, which was Honey Baby. Honey Baby is a term of endearment. So my grandma's a Honey Baby, my abuela, my 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 husband's a Honey Baby, my daughter's a Honey Baby. So Honey Baby was like, okay, let's take honey, this amazing ingredient that's so universal. My grandmother used to use in everything. 
and create this line of products. And I was like, and it's niche enough that if I don't listen to this, if it's not successful, then at least I learn. I'm using this small brand to learn. So everything from the IP to the website to um, product sourcing, to, like everything. I, I went all in. I wasn't working. We were struggling. I maxed out every credit card, got the product. I still didn't have the whole retail footprint of it. And um, we would load up the van. Not van. It was an SUV. My dad calls it a van. I had a Buick Enclave. <laughs> and we would drive across the country and do trade shows, me and my kids, and hand out samples. And we were hustling to the point of people don't see that side of this. They just see the glamorous. First year business, got into Target. Uh, I mean, just incredible write-ups. We were in magazines. I wasn't even paying for editorials. People loved the product so much. We expanded to Walmart, to Sally, to to, to Ultra. I mean, to um, all these big um, retail stores. Again, I know nothing about finance and capital raise and the banking side of it. Everything I've done to this point was learned by fire. So I'm challenged with scaling up. So, you know, I'm doing this brand. It's going amazing. I'm building all these relationships. I'm like, I joined the Global Beauty Alliance. I'm, I'm using my voice for like inclusion, diversity. I'm, I'm doing all these opportunities and I'm struggling still financially. Like we're paying the bills now, but it was just like, how can I compete? How can I compete with these big companies? Another company tried to knock me off. I don't have any fight power. I'm fighting for shelf against the big giants of the world with the P&Gs and the L'Oreal's. Like we all have to share self space. So anyway, so doing well with the brand and as a Latina woman, that's when we really started talking a lot about inclusion and diversity in retail. And um, I think they've done a great job with, um, with Black hair care and African-American women and just being inclusive and having an opportunity to showcase in that category. But we see nothing for Latina women. And it was another like, okay, oh my God, you take advantage, you know, not advantage, but you look, you see an opportunity. And so I'm Puerto Rican, I'm pitching to all these buyers like, hey, but in their mind, Honey Baby had already been segmented as a multicultural brand, which is Black at the time. And we were put in this section. And I was like, how about, you know what? I'm just going to create a whole new line. I know the blueprint. Like, let's go. Like, I think Latina women are so underrepresented. And being my name is Aisha, no one believed I was Puerto Rican. They're like, yeah, right. We're just going to put you here. And so I just went all in again. I was like, okay, I already have the blueprint. Honey Baby's successful. I'm going to get some outside funding to help do this right. 2019, I created a whole new brand. I knew the intellectual property. We knew the footprint. We knew the product. So I created Baldonica Beauty. And it was the time. It was really about embracing Latinx culture. My whole life, you're not Puerto Rican enough. You speak Spanglish. Your name is Aisha. You, you You don't represent us. And I felt like this is my chance now as a boss, as an entrepreneur who has a successful brand to, to reconnect you know, and show that I am Latina enough. I'm more than just, just my ethnicity. I'm really about embracing our culture. And so Botanica Beauty was really created to celebrate our diverse culture, underrepresented Latinas, and really showcase. So, so 2019, so I have Honey Baby. Um, 2019, I launched um, Botanica Beauty. Our first year... We got 300 Target stores and 1,200 Walmart stores. Thank God. Hallelujah. I sit on the small business council of Target. Um, I really about equity and inclusion, diversity. I, I'm, I'm a member of the Global Beauty Alliance and we do a lot of initiatives. And so it's really now, I'm bigger than... Uh, it's really a movement. I want to become a thought leader. I want to use my businesses and you know everything that I've developed to this point to, to advance our category. I want to see more brands that have representation and inclusivity. I want these retailers to understand that we're a powerful consumer and we love to see brands created by us for us. So now 
I mean, that's where we are. I have these two amazing brands. My biggest hurdle, women of color do not get financing. Let's just say that if we look at the percentages and how hard it is. So I'm in the process of trying to raise capital, trying to get funding so that I can scale up and I can really um, just advance these brands and, and be be on the level of these fancy IPOs that you talked about. <laughs> so, you yeah. know, that's where I am. Yeah, now. Yeah, that's great. I have no doubt you're going to continue to be successful with whatever you choose to do because you've got the ingredients of both experience and drive and a, and a personal mission and intelligence and um, an understanding of humanity, uh, empathy, you know, desire to solve problems that are really many people like you and others are facing. To me, that's kind of the the perfect mixture of success as uh, we go forward at this time. You know, I, I actually believe that the people that are going to win at a big scale are going to be the ones that aren't thinking about this selfishly, that are actually trying to solve problems for others. And that that capitalism, conscious capitalism can really be the way forward to solving, you know, the world's largest problems. And, you know, that's what you're doing with a ton of experience uh, underneath your belt. You know, there's no question that you are a success already. And, you know, anything that you want, I believe, will continue to come your way. So, Congratulations. Wow. It's great Thank to you. um you know hear your story and for you to take some time with me today and you know I am just impressed and really uh honored to to know you and and um you know love to be supportive however I can but thank you for taking the time. Any other kind of final thoughts you want to share with the audience? Well, well thank you for those kind words. Like it means it means so you know so much to me and you know, as a mother, like my, my greatest gift in life and the most important thing in my life is my children. And um, I like the pride that they have in me. And like, you know, growing up, I didn't have the role models and people in my family that had did this. I mean, that have done this before me. But, you know, I want to inspire not just my children, but younger generations, people that might come from a, a small, poor town or who've grown up with adversities and had poor public school education. Defeat all the odds. Believe in yourself. And 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 find that fire and that passion that drives you, and and use it as a motivating factor. Don't ever use it as a crutch or as an excuse. Like use it to 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 fuel greatness. And and thank you for doing what you're doing because you are allowing, you're giving us a platform to share our stories and to inspire and to motivate. So thank you for deciding to not just sit at coffee shops, but to create a mm-hmm. podcast and an outlet to to share stories and voices. So I appreciate it and. You know, I look forward to staying in touch. And, you know, now we have the brands. We're, like I said, we're raising, we're trying to raise capital. We're expanding. I have a beauty incubator. We have our own manufacturing, our own distribution, our own warehouse. And so I feel now the sky is the limits. And we're just trying to create a legacy, a legacy that, you know, shines a light on on all of my past and, and, and creates this amazing, bright future. Yeah. Well, yeah. Again, congratulations. And also just, uh, we can talk about this off the air too, but um, I'll say it, you know, publicly, I have been over the last 
five years or so really investing in entrepreneurs like yourself, people that I believe you know have a big mission, a uh, big purpose, women uh, and minorities in particular who uh, historically have been overlooked in the um, venture space. Uh, my belief is really about not just investing money, but time and resources to support entrepreneurs holistically. That you know, it can't all be about sleeping at your desk and eight out of ten failing. There's mothers out there like you who have to balance their lives and create, you know, organizations at the same time. And so, uh, yeah, you know, I I love kind of uh, getting behind you know people like yourself, and happy to you know have that dialogue with you and anyone else that's listening. You know, that's. Uh, more and more a part of what we're doing with gravity and um, you know with our venture fund is really getting behind the right people. That's beautiful. And I, I wanna that's what I want to do. I just want to give back. So once I make yeah. money from my businesses, I'm gonna be the same way. And I do a lot of um so I'm on the LSC locally. I do a lot of community things, but like I want to create this so that I can give back to these teachers, these poor school systems, these minority engineering programs that Purdue and all these organizations that have made me the person that I am today and took me out of a bad situation and put me into a great situation. So yeah. I admire that and I appreciate it. And, you know, let's go. Let's do this. Yeah. We, one Let, person no, at a time. I, one I person agree. at a time changed everything. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that that is what it takes. I think somebody who really does, and maybe this goes back to kind of what you shared about the uh, mentors and, and supporters, you know, in your performing arts school and others, if you, if you do it for somebody and they have success, they're going to turn around and do it for somebody else. And Absolutely. so I believe that we can recycle this capital in a really loving, positive and beneficial way. You know, when you support people, that feel that, who get to experience it, of course, they're going to give it back. And that's how it multiplies. So anyway, it's awesome. We could keep doing this for a long time, but <laughs> we're out of time. So Aisha, thank you for your time and loved uh, the conversation. Thank you so much, Brett, for having me. And thank you for doing what you're doing. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening to the Gravity Podcast. Please be sure to subscribe, leave us a review and follow me on Instagram at Brett Kaufman on Twitter, at bkaufman125, and subscribe to our YouTube channel by searching for The Gravity Podcast with Brett Kaufman. And please send me a DM with any guests or topics that you'd like to hear on future episodes.